Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by an old, old friend of mine named Rick Finkelstein, or affectionately known as Fink, uh, who I went to college with. We were both guitar players back then, and these days he is now a lawyer and he has ditched hourly billing. So we had a, just a regular Zoom call to catch up. It's been a long time. Uh, but then we got into some business stuff and I, I thought it'd be great to share his perspective on hourly billing at a big firm uh, versus now he's a soloist and what fixed fees have done for him and his clients and, and so on and so forth. All right, without further ado, here is Rick Finkelstein, the heavy metal lawyer. Well, you want to talk about biz a little bit? Sure, yeah. Cool. So I, I kind of I went back over that that uh, messenger chat we had, and I reminded myself a couple of things that really took me by surprise. And I I, I think it's I don't know if you like think of yourself this way, but I'm, it's like you're kind of like a heavy metal lawyer, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but so so what? Um, a couple of things that really stood out to me were were like the thumbtack thing, and okay. I think at one point we talked about your biz model and um, there's a couple other things in there, but, but the, I think the first thing I would ask is like, how did you get into that niche of, of like heavy metal bands or whatever it is, heavy metal artists? Oh, okay. So um, just so you know, I always wanted to try to combine being a lawyer and being a guitar player because I felt I was, wasn't going to make it as a player. So I started putting advertisements in the back of guitar player magazine. No, sir. Yeah. So if you look at old <laughs> guitar player magazines, I have ads <laughs> in the back there. And I hooked up with guys in Nashville, yeah. not heavy metal country. Yeah. But the guy, um, my first client I got out of there, he's the guitar player for Ron Keel, who is heavy metal. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the, Ron Keel's the guy who brought Ingway Malmsteen to the States. Oh, wow. And so I forget what the name of the band was, but it's Malmsteen's first band. And Wasn't that Alcatraz? It might have been before Alcatraz. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so this guy is actually the guitar player for Ron Keel now. Um, plays in Keel's band, and so, and we're still really good friends. And it kind of just blossomed from there. And then uh, a country player out of Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, he's he's not a guitar player. He's a banjo player. Banjo Ben Clark. He does bluegrass. If you ever go on YouTube, you'll see like a bazillion videos from him for bluegrass. Cool. Um, so I started doing stuff with him, and then I went to my first Nam show. Um, which is like 2016, and yeah. uh, I met a friend of mine. So a friend of mine, okay, this this is, sucks, but we're not recording, are we? <laughs> oh, it's rolling. But you, oh, but it's I, rolling. We can, yeah, oh. we can cut out anything you want. Okay, so uh, a really an old friend of mine um, messaged me. We're we're going to Nam, and uh, he said, "Hey, uh, I got off the plane. Goes come to this dinner at this Mexican restaurant." And he sends me a text. So I show up at this Mexican restaurant and sitting across the table from me is, uh, is Nicky Morak, who's uh, plays with David Bowie, plays with Elton John, David Sanborn, so like wow. sitting right across from me. A few people down is Jack Pearson from the Allman Brothers. <laughs> um, it was just a who's who of musicians and, and industry people at this table. Huh. So um, I think the guy sitting right next to me was a finger style picking champion too, forget his name. But um, anyway, this was the first dinner. And uh, someone asked me a trademark question at the table. I answered it. Yeah. And that was yeah. easy for me. Yeah. And he, he's an owner of an amp company, several amp companies. So, um, you know, he, we became friends. 
I helped him out with a few projects. He hired me to do a few things for him. And then he started referring me to other people. And that just referrals upon referrals upon referrals. And it happened to be in the heavy metal industry. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I started doing work for a guy named Mike Fortin, um, who is, uh, you know, premier heavy metal amps, probably okay. like the best heavy metal amps out there. And uh, Mike's referred me to other people as well. Then I picked up a band called Williac. Okay. And they're like a YouTube star band. They're, they're tour now. But when I started working with them, they were like playing the Santa Monica Pier. That's what they did. They were like a bunch of kids, family band, playing the Santa Monica Pier. I consider them like the heavy metal partridge family. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it was, <laughs> I'm trying to think. There's two sisters and three boys. And they would rock out on playing like 80s covers on the Santa Monica Pier. And they got a huge following. Huh. And and Stuart Copeland became a big fan from the police. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he came and sat in with them. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I've still done their work. Now they're huge. Huh. Um, and uh, I got to meet up with them at NAMM um, 2020. So I finally got out to California at NAMM and met up with them. Wow. So that's crazy. So, like, okay, so if we reel it all the way back, what did the adding guitar player even say? Like, why would somebody reading guitar player need a lawyer? It feels like a bunch of like bedroom heroes, you know, like. And that's who called me. Yeah. yeah. It was mostly guys like that who called me. And it was about, you know, patents, trademarks, um, copyrights. I just, I just took a shot in the dark and put this ad in guitar player. Yeah. And I don't think it got me a lot, but it got me a little. And yeah. that was enough. Yeah. Wow. And also crazy. confidence. And when you start talking with these guys, you start learning about the industry. Mm-hmm. So you get some knowledge about, you know, what it's really like to be a musician, a touring musician. Mm-hmm. And it's not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. yeah real glamorous, huh? Spending yeah. People's socks all day. So, man, that's crazy. So what kind of, so, you know, clearly you're sort of niched into the music biz and artists also equipment manufacturers. Are there any other kinds of clients or is it, I, I think, I mean, I remember you showed me some insane, like, uh, guitars like skeleton guitar with like all oh, right that yeah. was the gitler yeah so the mm-hmm. gitler guitar um yeah that was a long time ago again i think that may have been through the guitar magazine um i've always kind of held myself out as a guitar attorney and uh mm-hmm. yeah i picked them up as a client as well that's mm-hmm. a, a bizarre um uh, invention so i did a patent on that one there's a patent on the gitler guitar so what's most of the stuff you do? Is it is it like it's probably not mostly patents? Is it mostly trademark or mostly trademark yeah. negotiation or no, mostly trademarks? So manufacturers, you know, you put out a, a pedal, for example, you put out a you know some cool guitar pedal, and you come up with a really cool name with it. And you want to protect that, so you start selling it. It's great, and next thing you know, everyone's using that name. Or they're putting out their clone of that name and trying to hold it out as that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where the trademarks come in handy because you can get rid of those. So the trademark will shut all that down because no one wants to put out, you know, this really cool name pedal. And then you see that name being used everywhere. Yeah. With like one letter changed or something or like, or whatever. Or sometimes even exactly like it is. You know, they don't even bother to change a letter. They just wow. use it. Just total knockoff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Especially from overseas pedal builders, they'll do it. And how, do, how does trademark prevent, does it just prevent them from selling it in the United States? 
It does. So a trademark is a source identifier, identifies the source of a product. Mm -hmm. And so um, if someone is using, putting out that same name, it creates confusion with the actual builder sure. because the quality may not be the same. Mm -hmm. and, and God forbid your pedal catches on fire. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't want to be blamed to have such a low quality pedal that catch on fire because mm -hmm. some knockoff pedals doing that. And the nice thing is the big platforms like Amazon, um, they'll all shut the, um, the infringers down. Mm -hmm. So we have to do, you just like report it to a particular department or something. And, and how do you prove that like your client, you just have paperwork filed and there's like yeah. photos and stuff? Well, you can, if you go on the USPTO website, you can download a PT, uh, PDF file of the registration and, uh, you know, you can just submit it to Amazon and say, here, here's the registration. Hmm. And who, how do you find out about the infringers? Do you, is that like part of your job or does it get reported by the main, you know, like the pedal makers? Like, Hey, somebody's ripping us yeah. off. It's usually the pedal makers. They watch out. Mm -hmm. Um, you're supposed to, you know, police your trademark to make sure no one else is infringing. So mm. yeah, you can do it. There, there are companies that will like do searches constantly, like you know, web search and, you know, mm. you can pay for those kind of services. I don't do any of that, but it's out there. Yeah. So what is, how do you price this stuff? So if somebody, if I came to you and said, Hey, I invented this, I don't, yeah, paddle, let's say, and, and is it hourly or is it, you know, flat fee of some kind? It's all flat fee. So when I worked at other bigger law firms, they were hourly yeah. and I hated it. Yeah. You know, I would get an email from a client and uh, he asked a question, you know, it could be a really simple question and I would respond. Yeah. And later that night I would get an email from the owner or the partner and saying, why didn't you bill for that email? You mm -hmm. answered an email. Why don't you, you could have billed point one or point two for that email. I'm like, but it was a simple question, you know, and it made the client happy. And why would I nickel and dime them like that? I, I just, they didn't yeah. sit well with me. Yeah. So I ended up, when I went off on my own, I switched to a fixed or flat fee model. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a cap fee as well. Um, but I just wanted to make it easy for the client to understand what the fees will be. Right. Um, no surprises. They like that. They know what to expect. Um, and they come back for more. Once they know like, hey, this is what it's going to cost. They come back for another one. Yeah, there's no surprise. Yeah. Right. They can think about it in advance and be like, oh, that amount of money is worth it for this thing that I want to do. It's not like you have to have a whole conversation like, well, how long is this going to take? And you know, what's your hourly rate these days? And, you know, exactly. Yeah. I mean, price prices do fluctuate, you know, unfortunately, because, you know, the USPTO changes fees, my insurance goes up. So, you know, these things do affect the price. But um, I try not to like bill for emails or clients like, hey, feel free to call me or email me. Yeah. happy to talk you know there's mm -hmm. no fees for that um if i'm going to be filing something for you yeah then we pay the fee mm -hmm. you pay my fee you pay the government fee and, and then we and it works out mm -hmm. yeah and do you i mean you were at the a big firm we were billing hourly and now you've been doing it like this for how long you know at least wow um i can't remember how long <laughs> i mean you mentioned guitar player magazine so it must have been a long time ago yeah well well i actually used to do this on the side um, but at least uh, 11 years, I would say. Okay. So a lot of experience. And, and do you notice an actual difference in the relationship with the customers or is it or the clients or is it just, is it just you feel better about this? Oh, it, it definitely creates a relationship with the clients. I mean, they call and tell me about everything. You know, sometimes it's not even work related. They just want to call and talk to me. 
<laughs> so we're all friends you know, they call and talk to me and um i know so much about their lives and uh yeah it creates a different relationship than just you know um hourly you know at, at first they're always afraid now what is this going to cost for me to, to talk to you yeah at all the time i'm like yeah. no, no no charge just call and talk yeah i remember i remember around the time when i sort of had an epiphany about hourly billing being nuts I had this one client who was really friendly, really chatty, and but but I was at a firm and I had to have a certain number of hours billed every week. So I used to say to him, like I used to have to say to him, like, dude, you know, he was telling me like personal stuff, and like of course it makes a much deeper relationship with the client, and they're gonna stay with you longer. They're gonna give you less BS. They're gonna, they're you're just gonna be connected. They're never gonna go to somebody else, right? You want clients that would be telling you things about their personal life. But I used to have to be, but he would talk for an hour about yes. some story, like how he um, proposed to his wife in Madison <laughs> Square Garden or whatever. And, uh, and it'd be great stories. He was hilarious. Uh, but I, but I, you know, I was this, I was between a rock and a hard place because I needed to now work an extra hour that week to get a billable hour in. And so I'd have to tell him, it's like, this is great, but I, I can only talk about work stuff. You know, I have to get back to work. You know, he ran his own business. I was an employee. And, right. uh, and eventually I had to start, he's like, I was like, we have to, I'm going to have to bill you for this story that you're telling me. <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. You should want clients to be like this. You should want them to, to think of you when they have a question or whatever. And, you know, uh, I, it was just not, so I thought it was crazy. So we, we both came to the same conclusion for a similar reason. Well, I think, I mean, there's a downside, obviously, you know, I only have eight hours or 10 hours in a day to, to do this stuff. And if I'm on the phone, chit chatting, I don't get any work done. So that, that can be a negative. And I think some clients respect that. So they're like, Hey, I, I know your time is precious. I don't want to hold you up. And they're very nice about it, mm -hmm. but it does form that relationship. And they always come back and you understand their business uh, to some degree as much as I can. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that helps versus, you know, you're just, you know, someone who I have to pay hourly and I'm going to minimize my use of. Exactly. Yeah. And do you think, or do you know maybe that that deeper relationship with the clients has led to more repeat business and referrals? Definitely has. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, would, it seems like it would. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've had some clients tell me like I'm the, the best attorney they've ever worked with. And I don't think it's my legal abilities because that's <laughs> not true. But uh, it's just the fact that I, I take the time to talk to them. Yeah. And I answer my own phone. So I've gotten a lot of clients just by picking up a phone. God, that's great. So that, that reminds me, you had that, that thumbtack story. So, oh. yeah. So do you, I guess before I even ask that, like, do you do any kind of advertising or social media or anything now? Or is it just straight up repeat business and word of mouth? Um, so it fluctuates. So I mainly do very little advertising these days. I do have a social media presence. I don't know how often I update it just once in a while, mm -hmm. um, more for interesting things than truly advertising. Mm -hmm. um, I do advertise on Thumbtack. So Thumbtack is a website where you can get done whatever you want to get done. And I was using it for um, the house to get stuff done around the house. Yeah, that's I've heard of it, but it was I thought it was like just people to clean your gutters and stuff like that. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. I used to have a guy build a fence for me mm -hmm. at my house. So I needed a fence built and I used that and I said, wow, what a neat little system. And I said, I will put myself out here for trademarks just for fun because I like doing trademarks. Maybe I'll do 
one a month. That'd be great. I'll do one trademark a month. Uh-huh. So I started doing that and it just blossomed. It just, um, I was working at another firm and doing this on the side because that firm didn't do trademarks. They only uh-huh. did patents. And I wanted to keep up my trademark skills. Yeah. I said, hey, Thumbtack will be the way. Um, one a month sounds great. <laughs> um, so one a month, two a month, and then they start referring. And before you know it, I couldn't keep up. Wow. And That's bonkers. So- Are, is it, do you, do you just have a, I don't know how Thumbtack works as the seller. Are you, do you just have a profile there that you do this or is it an actual ad? Like you place an ad. You have a profile and you have reviews and they rank you based on your cost and your um, number of reviews. They have some sort of algorithm and you set a budget and they charge you for every contact. Mm-hmm. And for a long time I had to shut off. I completely shut off because I couldn't keep up with just the referrals. Mm-hmm. Um, that slowed down after a while. So now I have it set for maybe one or two contacts a week. And that's it. <laughs> I, I really, that's all I can handle. Um, being a solo practitioner. Yeah. So one or two, and then it shuts that down and hides my profile. So it keeps it up. Um, what happened was when I shut it off for months, I had it shut off about seven months and then I turned it back on and I was way down in the rankings. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to get any business because I'm so far down. I couldn't even find me. Mm-hmm. So now I just keep it for one or two just to maintain my profile, my my level. And and that's it. <laughs> that's wild. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I'm super familiar with uh, Upwork and Fiverr and 99designs. And they're all, they're all platforms that I think are a little bit more, they're a lot more oriented to kind of like online remote knowledge worker type stuff like designers and, you know, design a book cover or edit a podcast or, you know, those sorts of things like, um, and I've never, I've never heard of a lawyer using like one of these marketplace platforms for well, I'll explain why. Okay. I can explain why. So we are governed. We have a lot of rules we have to follow ethical rules. And one of them is called fee sharing. So okay. If a client is going to pay me $200, for example, they actually have to be paying me $200. I can't be splitting that with somebody. That's considered an ethical violation. So with Thumbtack, I only pay for the, the ping for someone to, uh, you know, to reach out to me. Upwork or those other companies will take a percentage. Interesting. So, so, so for some reason, not for some reason, for that reason, Thumbtack is like, well, maybe the only one that a lawyer could use. Yeah, they have a great legal program. I have a friend who um, he does criminal law, and he had a very small practice. I said, "You got to try this thumbtack." He's like, "I hate <laughs> advertising; it never works for me." I'm like, "You know, you got to try this thumbtack thing. It's going to be neat." Yeah. So he's just slamming it now. <laughs> uh, he's got so many cases coming off of that. Wow. Yeah, I think he's probably doubled his practice. Wow. I about, yeah, about doubled. That's crazy. So do you, okay, so let's, so speak, you've mentioned capacity a few times, like you get, you know, you get like booked solid basically. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you also mentioned 10 hour days. I don't like that. So how did, how do you set your fees? Is it, it you know, you mentioned that, you know, there are certain costs that change for you and therefore it's going to affect the price. So do you pretty much just like try and cover your costs with some you know, margin, if you subtracted your time as a cost, and then you, how do you, do you calculate it based more on how much 
the, like what the level of effort is for you or is it more like a value of what you're doing to the buyer? It's a little bit of both, um, both the value to the buyer and my cost. So I, I set out when I was on my own not to be money motivated. I said, I, I don't want to work to get the most money possible. I see so many guys doing that and, and it becomes like a religion, an obsession to make every single cent. And that's how I felt at a firm where, you know, you know, you have to bill point one for that email. I didn't like that. I said, look, when I worked at a firm, uh, at a big firm, this is about the salary I made. I'm comfortable on that salary. Mm-hmm. I will just aim to make that maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I figured it. I wasn't trying to, you know, make half a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to just, you know, make my normal salary. And that's, mm-hmm. That was the goal. And I said, I'm not going to focus on money. I'm going to focus on staying busy. So as long as I am busy, the money will come. Yeah. And, and that has worked out. I've kept myself busy. Um, I mean, I wake up in the morning, there's probably 60, 70 emails for me to go through. Wow. Work emails. Work emails, correct. Oh, man. And um, I've spread myself too thin on numerous occasions. And when I say 10 hours a day, that would be a short day. Sometimes um, I come back and I work at night. I know you have kids and uh, working at home can be tough. So I sometimes work, you know, 11 o'clock at night to two in the morning. Yeah. And then get some sleep and, uh, you know, wait till my son gets up. Yeah. That's a lot. So, you know, if you raise those prices, that would automatically balance out a little bit. (laughs) It might. (laughs) That's true. And, uh, but I kept them pretty, pretty low. Um, I actually got scolded by a couple of attorneys uh, that my prices were too low. <laughs> I scared off clients. And, and I think that was true. I think I did have people say, why are you so inexpensive? That does like, happen in, you know, in, in every space, like if, because it, it projects a low quality, if the, if the price is right. lower than what they expected, like, oh, that must be not good. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely on the low end of the spectrum still. And I understand that, but it's fine with me. The clients are happy. They come back for more. And I said, if you think about it on an hourly rate, yeah. it's still great. Yeah. So, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I love the point about knowing how much is enough and not, not, um, you know, scrambling for every billable six minutes. You know, the, the, I remember when, when I used to bill by the hour, I had a feeling I could feel like, you know, I'd get into the zone. I'd be, coding, so it was coding, you know, and I would build something and, and I'd like sort of come out of the, the tunnel vision and I'd like, look at the, you know, and I'd log whatever I just did and be like, yeah, man, I just made 300 bucks doing something super fun in the zone. And, and then when I switched off of it and I would look up at the clock and be like, oh, I, I just, I just lost $300 because the more it turned into the more I worked, the less I made my effective hourly rate would be going down. And the the difference between those two feelings was dramatic. And I know a lot of, you know, I have heard, I don't know if it's a lot of people, but I have heard from people when they switch over to, to getting paid upfront full amount, then, and they're just like, now it's on them to finish the job at, you know, good quality job, high quality work, but as fast as humanly possible, because that is essentially them giving themselves a raise. And they're like, oh, this is like, this this doesn't feel as fun. Like they're, they're, the game is different. It it flips the game, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is how your clients have been feeling all along. Now you're feeling it instead of them. They're feeling like you felt, and you're feeling like, boy, 
If I could find a way to get more efficient at delivering high quality work, I'd be rolling in it, right? Because you know, if you thought something was going to take you 20 hours and it only took you five, that's like a huge upgrade, like profit wise. Yes. But you're never going to think of the way to do it faster if you're getting paid to be slow or paid to not get faster. You're financially incentivized to like be slower. Like if you want more money, just go slower. It, it sets up a weird, it, a, not just weird, but I think a negative incentive. No, that's true. And I, I developed little things over, over time to, to help me with that. Just how I do certain requirements that I need done. I found like, like hey, why do I need to send two, ma- two emails to get this done? I can do it in one. Yeah, right. And, you know, and like, oh, that saved a lot of time. And especially because when you get like 67 emails a day, that's just in the morning and we keep coming in during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're, you're spending so much time responding doing emails and actually getting work done. Mm-hmm. So you got, you got to, I have to balance that time in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the, you touched on the new game. So like when, once you switch over to fixed fees or flat fees or value price, whatever you call it, you're just not getting paid more if it takes you longer. Once you switch over to that, then the game becomes like, where can I, where can I save myself five minutes? Instead of billing for an extra five or six minutes, you find your, a way to save five or six minutes. And it, that's for me, it, it's, I never thought of it until you just said it like that. But that, that for me is the game. Where can I automate something? Where can I make something happen? Yes. Uh, you know, where can I create leverage? Where could I uh, maybe do a little pre-work and set myself up with a bunch of boilerplate that's going to apply to tons of things? Can I switch software systems from like this platform to that platform? Because it does something for me out of the gate that I have to do manually now. And you end up getting really, really efficient, but not getting penalized for your efficiency by billing fewer hours. Yes. So. Yeah. That's that's the way to, to make it as a fixed fee person is to minimize uh, all that extra work you have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And you sound you sound like uh, uh, I don't know if I want to say anti-employee, but you don't have employees and you haven't. <laughs> I currently don't, even though I've reached the point where I'm in discussions with um one of the people, firms I work with, a larger firm to help me with reporting. So for example, I spend a lot of my time just emailing the clients in the morning saying, hey, uh, your trademark got allowed. Um, here's a copy of the registration or um, we got a refusal. Here's a copy of the refusal and you know we'll, we'll discuss it. So I go through all that and report it out personally. Um, so one of my vendors um, that I use said they can help me take over that. Mm-hmm which will save me a lot of time to actually do the, be a lawyer versus, you know, uh, an admin. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's good. That sounds good. Good delegation. Yeah. We're actually talking next week about that. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll see how that goes. Right. Right. Well, cool. I I was just talking to, uh, I was, I don't don't know. This is like lawyer week for me. I talked to a guy named Digby Lee who runs a firm about 30 people and they've been using this thing called Frank fees. They sort of, uh, trademarked uh, uh, or branded name for their the fact that they do fixed fees and and then his you know he's maybe our age maybe I'm not I'm not sure it's like our age but he's got two okay. adult sons and uh, and they just launched um, a SaaS that that helps lawyers do fixed fee pricing I haven't looked at it yet it's like launching now but um, I don't know for some reason I and, and there's another lawyer I talked to uh, uh, recently, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm feeling excited. You, t- this is I'm leading up to a question. Believe it or not, uh, um, I is it just like confirmation bias that I've I've been 
talking to lawyers and therefore more of them are coming out of the woodwork? Or do you feel or are you aware of a trend in the space of people who feel like you and Digby and John who are like moving away from hourly billing and into a fixed fee model? Or is it just, are you, are you guys total outsiders and it's 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 never going to change? It's been happening for a while. So most of my career, um, or where I started for about a decade, I worked at a big firm that had very, very large clients, like, you know, fortune 50 clients. Mm. Those companies don't let lawyers bill them hourly. They tell the lawyers what they can bill. You want (laughs) our work? This is what you can bill us. So for example, they'll say, hey, here's a patent application. It's X dollars. That's what we're going to pay. So they're all cap fees, essentially. So Mm -hmm. you can work up to that cap, which most lawyers will do, or at least close to the cap, unless Mm -hmm. it's something really simple and you'd be embarrassed to bill to the cap. Yeah. But so that's what got it in my head. I'm like, we don't need to do hourly. Like when I worked at other firms where you build for every email, because this whole cap concept is what the large companies do. This has been around for a long time. Yes, like you can be a thousand dollar an hour attorney. Fine. You're just going to have to be really efficient because this is our cap and we're not paying you a cent more. <laughs> right. And if you don't like it, you can go away because there's a lot of other firms who want our business. So I said, hey, that's a great model. Let me do that with the, the really tiny clients who don't have that advantage. And that's where I came up with the idea of doing everything at fixed fees because I know what it's going to take me mm-hmm. and I know what I'm comfortable making and why try to rake the client, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's do, do you, what the big guys do. Do you actually publish your prices for things? Like, Is there like a, like a menu on your website of like a yes. thing? Oh, cool. Smart. Yeah. Great. Yeah, you can go and, and it's been like that for a long time. So you can just go on there and see what what I charge. What a massive difference that would be from my like my experience of, you know, when I started this business in 2006, I, I, I wanted to take it pretty seriously because I knew I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of like uh, setting up a business and it was going to be, you know, we were buying a house and I didn't want to, you know, have any kind of risk of anything happening. I wasn't like a 19 year old kid, like, Oh, I'm just going to like mow lawns freelance or whatever. So I got, you know, I asked around people like, you need to get a lawyer, CPA, financial advisor, insurance guy, you know, like, and talk to all these people, have them talk to each other, decide how to incorporate or whether or not to incorporate how to, you know, all of that stuff. And I remember, and still, I mean, you know, I barely talked the the guy just does my, you know, whatever, I don't even remember what it's called. It's like there's annual paperwork, uh, shareholders, something or other. And like, Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Are yeah. You, how, how are you set up as a corporate? S Corp. Okay. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, so it's like the same amount of taxes every year, like 400, 500 bucks. It's like a flat tax thing to the state. And then I have to like uh, sign some piece of paper or whatever. And it's like, you know, and they send me this hourly, it's like an hours thing. And it would be funny to look and see, you know, if every year it's the same number of hours or if, if, you know, they have like a new person do it and it's like slower or something. Like, I have no idea how much it costs. It's like, can, can't we just like, can you, I don't know. It just seems like, but here's the thing. Like there probably, there have been times occasionally when I would have wanted to like pick up the phone and talk to Jim, but it's like, eh, I don't wanna go, you know, and then I'm going to get a, a bill in the mail and then I'm going to have to pay it. And it's like, ugh, it's not even worth it. So like they're probably, you know, over the course of 15 years or 16 years, they're probably like 
10 times I would have called him, not even, maybe five times that I would have called him or thought to call him and just been like, hey, can I ask you a quick question about, maybe it's not even for me, it'd be for like a student or something. Like, who should I even look for to do this or whatever? And, but, you know, but he probably doesn't even know my name, you know, now because it's just, he's got some, not assistant, I don't know what the terminology is, but he's got this other person who deals with stuff, you know, like wrote stuff like I, I, the stuff they do for me, it's just like in some rotation every year, like, here's a list of people, we do the paperwork and we send it and then send an invoice and then they pay it. And then it's like, it has to be, I think it has to be a check too. It doesn't even have like an online thing. Okay. Anyway, it's very, it's, it's, uh, from the client side, I can say that, you know, your experience, like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't a client want to know how much it was going to cost before they decide to say go, you know, like before they, they green light it. Of course they want to know how much it's going to cost. Right. How do you even make a decision if you don't know? That's one of the top questions, you know, what's this going to cost me, especially if you're working in a small business. Yeah. And, and sometimes they call, call me and say, hey, I want to trademark everything. I want to trademark my name, my slogan, my logo. I want to trademark this. I want to protect it for everything. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, no, don't do that. You're going to spend so much money on trademarks yeah. that, you know, it's not great for your business. You're a, you're a startup. You know, you need capital. Yeah. So protect the core aspects of your business. That's great. And, you know, you can always come back and file more. The business mm-hmm. is doing great you know, come back and file more. For example, say, hey, we're going to have beer koozies with our um, our logo on it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Do you know how many beer koozies you're going to have to sell to cover the cost of the government fees? <laughs> you know, that's crazy. So I don't spend the money on that. I mean, if, if you have a great budget, yeah, sure, why not? But, you know, most people don't. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So they appreciate that that kind of advice. Man, that's amazing. So just to, just for the the listeners, uh, can you tell them where they can go to find out more about you online, and then we can wrap up after that. Sure. Um, the company I, I own is called the RC Trademark Company, and they can go to www.rctrademark.com. Cool. See your menu of prices, your low yes. prices. <laughs> you Hurry, see up. All Hurry up, because I'm going to convince Rick to raise them. <laughs> All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.